Hello and welcome back to Wrestling with Theology. I am Pastor Doug Minton, standing in the confessional corner for episode 106 of Wrestling with Theology as we begin our trek, and it really will be a trek, through the fourth article of the Augsburg Confession because this is the article upon which the church stands or falls, the article of justification. And as we'll see from even the opening lines, how important this was to the 16th century, but it is still that important to the 21st century. So the first couple of paragraphs of Article 4. In Articles 4, 5, 6, and 20, they condemn us for teaching that people obtain forgiveness of sins not because of their own merits, but freely for Christ's sake through faith in Christ. They condemn us both for denying that people obtain forgiveness of sins because of their own merits, and for affirming that through faith, people obtain forgiveness of sins and are justified through faith in Christ. Okay, we look at this for a moment, and they say, whoa, whoa wait, 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 Articles 4, 5, 6, and 20? So what are those articles? Well, Article 4 was the half dozen lines of the Article of Justification. Article 5 was on the ministry, 6 was on the new obedience, which is the life after baptism, and then Article 20 is the article on good works, where we say good works are necessary, but not for salvation. They are necessary to show our faith. So now, this is what the next umpteen pages I'm looking through right now trying to figure out roughly in my edition of Concordia. We're talking the next hundred pages. I think in the larger context as I'm using the pocket, it comes out to be probably 115 pages of material on the justification and how it differs. Because it does combine paragraph or articles 4, 5, and 6 into this one. And then we pick it up again when we get to article 20 in the Apology. But we'll get to that part when we get to that part. We move on into paragraph 2 through 4 of this article. But in this controversy, the chief topic of Christian doctrine is treated. When it is understood correctly, it illumines and amplifies Christ's honor, which is especially useful for the clear, correct understanding of the entire Holy Scriptures, and alone shows the way to the unspeakable treasure and right knowledge of Christ, and alone opens the door to the entire Bible. It brings necessary and most abundant consolation to devout consciences. Therefore, we ask His Imperial Majesty to hear us with patience in this matters of such great importance. For the adversaries do not understand what the forgiveness of sins or faith or grace or righteousness is. Therefore, they sadly corrupt this topic, hide Christ's glory and benefits, and rob devout consciences of the consolation offered in Christ. In order that we may strengthen the position of our confession and also remove the charges that the adversaries advance against us, certain points are to be set forth in the beginning. Then the sources of both kinds of doctrine, that of our adversaries and our own, may be known. Okay, so in these opening paragraphs, we have the fact that the Roman theologians who wrote the Confutation condemned all of these articles for teaching justification by grace alone. 
The Roman theologians of the 16th century, amplified by the Council of Trent and the Roman Catholic Church after them, completely reject justification by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. The Roman Catholic Church completely denies the insufficiency of our merits in the realm of justification. Although they also condemn the Pelagians, as we'll see throughout Article 4, for teaching that you can choose to be saved or unsaved, they become very semi-Pelagian as they themselves teach that man has to participate in his own justification, even if it is just a tiny bit. And so now Melanchthon wants to strengthen this distinction between the Lutherans and the Roman Catholics. So we pick up in paragraph 5. All scripture ought to be distributed into these two principal topics, the law and the promises. For in some places, scripture presents the law, and in other, the promises about Christ. In other words, in the Old Testament, scripture promises what, that Christ will come, and it offers for his sake the forgiveness of sins, justification, and life everlasting. Or in the gospel in the New Testament, Christ himself, since he has appeared, promises the forgiveness of sins, justification, and life everlasting. Furthermore, in this discussion by law, we mean the Ten Commandments, wherever they are read in Scripture. We say nothing at present about the ceremonies and judicial laws of Moses. Of these two parts of Scriptures, the adversaries choose the law, because in some way human reason naturally understands the law, for it has the same judgment divinely written in the mind. By the law, they seek the forgiveness of sins and justification. The Ten Commandments require outward civil works, which reason can in some way produce. But they also require other things placed far above reason. Truly to fear God, truly to love God, truly to call upon God, truly to be convinced that God hears us, and to expect God's aid in death and in all afflictions. Finally, the law requires obedience to God in death and all afflictions, so that we may not run from these commandments or refuse them when God lays them upon us. Here's the deal. We have the law and the gospel, the law and the promises. By nature, we understand the law because it makes sense. Do this, don't do that. If you don't do what you're supposed to, there will be a punishment. If you do what you're not supposed to, there will be a punishment. We, as human beings, enjoy the fact of consequences. Not receiving them, but the fact that consequences exist. It makes sense to our logical minds and our reason. But notice what Melanchthon says, which he's getting from Luther and his catechisms, that the Ten Commandments also require truly to fear God, truly to love God. And again, everything is truly, truly, no sin, no sin at all in these things. Nothing tainting them at all. Pure, true fear, love, and trust in God at all times, above all things. He also closes this section with our natural reaction ever since the fall into sin. That we may not run from these commandments or refuse them when God lays them upon us. Because that is exactly what the law does. It places the Ten Commandments upon us, shows us, as the 
article on justification will continue to say over and over and over again that the law always accuses. It never excuses. We continue on with paragraphs 9 through 16. Here the scholastics have followed the philosophers. They teach only a righteousness of reason. That is, they teach civil works. Besides that, they imagine reason can love God above all things without the Holy Spirit. For as long as the human mind is at ease and does not feel God's wrath or judgment, it can imagine that it wants to love God, that it wants to do good for God's sake. In this way, they teach that people merit forgiveness of sins by doing what is in them, namely when reason produces an act of love toward God by grieving over sin or when reason is active in doing what is good for God's sake. Because this notion naturally flatters people, it is brought forth and multiplied in the church many services, monastic vows, and abuses of the Mass. In the course of time with this opinion, someone has come up with one act of worship and observances, and someone else others. To nourish and increase confidence in such works, the scholastics have asserted that God must give grace to a person who does such works, not that he is forced to, but that God will not change what he has ordered. In this opinion, there are many great and deadly errors, which would be too boring to list. Let the careful reader think only about this. If this is Christian righteousness, what difference is there between philosophy and Christ's teaching? If we merit forgiveness of sins by these acts, of what benefit is Christ? If we can be justified by reason and the works of reason, what need is there of Christ or regeneration? From these opinions, the matter has now reached the point that many ridicule us because we teach that a righteousness different from philosophic righteousness must be sought. We have heard that some preachers, after having set aside the gospel, have explained Aristotle's ethics instead of a sermon. Not that such men err if those things the adversaries defend are true. For Aristotle wrote about civil morals in such a learned way that nothing further about the topic needs to be demanded. We see books published in certain, with certain sayings of Christ are compared with the sayings of Socrates, Zeno, and others. It's as though Christ had come to deliver certain laws through which we might merit forgiveness of sins, as though we did not receive this freely because of his merits. Therefore, if we accept here the teaching of the adversaries, that by the works of reason we merit forgiveness of sins and justification, there will be no difference between righteousness of philosophers, or certainly of Pharisees, and of Christians. Justification and the proper understanding is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. It should not be corrupted, but wholly and solely preached on the basis of the law and the promises. The Roman theologians seek justification in the law. They totally abandon the gospel because we cannot fathom the fact that forgiveness is given to us freely from Christ. That does not compute in our natural minds. And unfortunately, that is what the Roman theologians are doing as they look more towards Jesus as being another Socrates, Zeno, Aristotle, Plato. Jesus did not come to be a philosopher. Jesus came to be our Savior. He came to freely offer us himself for the forgiveness of our sins. Because we 
can't do it on our own. No matter how many good works we might do, we'll never be able to expunge all the bad that is in us. And many people scoff at this because, oh, no, 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 I am less of a sinner today than I was back a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, when I was younger and didn't know any better. I'm less of a sinner. No, actually, by that statement, you're making yourself more of a sinner because you are boasting in the fact that you think that you're not sinning. But who can actually say that they have stopped sinning? Certainly not me. Certainly not the apostles. Certainly not Abraham or Moses or David or any of the other people who have gone through history. No one can say that they are without sin. Because John says it best in his words in his first epistle. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, if we say we can justify ourselves, we've already lost the battle. We've lost the focus on justification because it is not about us. It is about Jesus for us. If we take justification out of the gospel and put it into the law, if we take it from Jesus' free gift and his promises into the do this, don't do that of the law, there will be no difference between Christian justification, philosophical justification, and atheistic justification. In fact, that will ultimately prove the adage that has been going around for many years now, that all roads lead to heaven. That it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, if you're a Muslim, if you're a Jew, if you're a Hindu, if you're a Buddhist. Eventually, everything leads to heaven. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is not why Christ came to earth. Because as he says in paragraph 12 again, if this is Christian righteousness, what difference is there between philosophy and Christ's teaching? If we merit the forgiveness of sins by these acts, of what benefit is Christ? If we can be justified by reason and the works of reason, what need is there of Christ or regeneration? Here's the question. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden goes all the way back to the fall into sin. If Adam and Eve could have worked their way out of their sin, if they could work their way back into God's grace and favor and return to paradise on their own, why would God promise the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head? 
what point would that serve if we could do it ourselves? The point is, we can't do it ourselves. We have no power in justification. It is truly a passive receiving of the gift of Christ that brings about the forgiveness of our sins, that calls us justified before God. I get a little passionate about this because it is so important. We can't neglect this distinction. We can't overlook it. We have to face it head on. If it is not justification by grace alone, by faith, by grace alone, on account of faith alone, with Christ alone. And I know I just screwed up all of the prepositions in there. But if it is not by Christ alone, all of this in the Christian faith is in vain. All of it that is based on the Bible is in vain. Because it teaches that we need Jesus. And unfortunately, even back in the medieval church, they decided that we don't need Jesus. And that is the biggest thing of the Reformation. I'm going to close up here at this point. We'll pick up in paragraph 17 next month in the confessional corner. As I said, we are going to trek through this and hopefully get through it in 2021. But... If we end up going through it into 2022, if God allows that year to show up on the calendar, we will keep going because this is the most important thing that we have to wrestle with. This is the most important theology that this world wrestles with, is how are we justified? How are we made right? Right with one another is one thing. That's handled in the realm of the law. But right before God, that's in the promises. That's in the gospel. The free gift of Christ. Next week we're pro-wrestling America again. Then we're starting the Psalms in two weeks. So I encourage you to still be here for those episodes Moments of Meditation still running every weekday morning. Sermons are being posted as I'm serving the vacancy at Triune God in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota right now. Things are coming about on the podcast, and I am excited for this. I am actually hopeful for 2021. Unlike many other people who believe it's just 2020 over again. But... We will get through this because God is leading us through. And that is what we have to wrestle with. Amen.